There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses your stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Crillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at the Times. This is a milestone episode for us, our 150th. We still can't believe it, but we've been doing this for nearly three years. Thanks to all of you who are loyal listeners and to those who have reached out to give us feedback and support. You've kept us going. Today's topic, hurting right now? Recently, Lane wrote a story about a woman whose brother had struggled with depression, and it led us to spotlight the issue in the era of COVID-19. Before we talk about the reporting and writing, here's Lane with the first two sections of the story. We'll post a link so you can read the rest online. When the pandemic hit and everyone had to stay inside, Jen Jones worried about her youngest brother. He was 28, living with two roommates in a town and country apartment, unable to go to the video gaming academy where he competed or hang out with his friends. He'd quit his job in a medical customer service center and was afraid to leave his room. He was always a germaphobe, so the threat of that virus really got him upset, Jen said, and he already struggled with depression. She feared what the isolation and lack of income would do to him, on top of all the uncertainty and fear everyone was already feeling. In late March, a week after the state shut down, Jones got a call. Her brother had been playing online video games and acting strangely. He told his teammates he'd taken a bunch of pills. One of them called 911. He'd been involuntarily committed under the state's Baker Act and was in an emergency room. Jones raced to the hospital, but because of the coronavirus, she wasn't allowed to see him. She wrote him a note and left it with a nurse. Please call me, let me help you. There's nothing in this world I wouldn't do for you. Two days later, she learned he'd been discharged and was back in his apartment. How do you release someone who's struggling like that to the isolation of their six by eight room, she asked. How is that a good idea? As early as April, mental health specialists across the country were warning about how the coronavirus and lockdown would cause more people to struggle with anxiety, depression, and suicidal thoughts. A Gallup poll released that month showed 60% of American adults reported feeling stress, up from 46% the previous summer. The polling company called the findings unprecedented. In May, a group called the Wellbeing Trust in California released a study predicting that this first U.S. pandemic in a century could lead up to 75,000 deaths of despair from suicide, alcohol, and drug abuse. Stressors like unemployment, fear, dread, isolation, and uncertainty, and the combination of all those factors is causing people to lose boundaries on their behaviors, the report said. During late June, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention said 40% of U.S. adults reported struggling with mental health or substance abuse, and 11% had, quote, seriously considered suicide. Young adults, racial and ethnic minorities, essential workers, and unpaid adult caregivers had even higher rates, with more than 20% of essential workers reporting suicidal thoughts over the previous month. 
between June and August, calls jumped 15% at the 211 Crisis Center of Tampa Bay, according to CEO Clara Reynolds. Quote, PTSD takes about six months to set in, so we're bracing for a real onslaught in October and November, she said. This crisis hasn't even really started yet. All summer across Tampa Bay, people were posting about friends and family who died during the pandemic, some from suicide. Isolation during these trying times was probably a factor, one Facebook user wrote of their friend. My friend just took her life, wrote another. I really can't take much more from 2020. According to medical examiner's offices, the number of deaths by suicide hasn't increased in Hillsborough or Pinellas counties. The calls to crisis centers have spiked. Early in the pandemic, Reynolds said, most of the calls were for people worrying about their physical health, contracting the virus and dying. In April, the calls were more about economic concerns, losing jobs, not being able to pay rent. Politics, protests, hurricanes, and retirement funds also are adding to the distress. Quote, now we're shifting to seeing an increase in calls to the suicide prevention hotline, said Reynolds. Over a three-month period last summer, about 1,300 people called the hotline. During that same period this year, the volume increased 17%. Christian Mayer, Chief Operating Officer at the Suncoast Center in Pinellas County, said about 1,500 people now have active suicide prevention plans. This time last year, she said, that number was about 540. The most heartbreaking calls, Matra said, are about children who are afraid to leave their homes. This is a new population dealing with agoraphobia, she said. We've never seen 11-year-olds scared to go outside. They're worried they'll get the virus or bring it back to their families. Overdoses also are increasing in Pinellas, said Diane Clark from the Addiction Treatment Center Operation PAR. Since the pandemic began, she's seen a rise in overdoses from fentanyl, amphetamines, opioids, and cocaine. Alcohol sales, she said, are up as high as 35%. People are struggling, said Reynolds. We're getting callers saying, I'm all alone. I don't see a light at the end of the tunnel. I've lost loved ones. I think my family would be better off without me. So this is one of those stories where we were talking about, you know, everything that's going on with the pandemic and, and um, you know, what, what, are, what, are, what are the topics we need to hit on? And, and um, I know you were going back to this whole idea of depression and how many people were suffering. Um, so how'd you, let's go to how you found Jen and how that started, because that was sort of part of the evolution of the story. Yeah, well, we, had, we had run a story by my colleague Dan Sullivan back in, I think, the beginning of April, where he basically did a news roundup talking to all of the um, mental health providers around Tampa Bay. And they were all predicting there's this. They were all predicting there's going to be this increased suicides, increased calls to the hotline, increased depression. So his story was all predictive. And so I think by about maybe the end of July, you and I started talking about, like, maybe we should check in and see if that was really a thing, you know, is did that prediction did those predictions come true and, and how bad is it really and i um, reached out on facebook and basically said you know if anybody's lost someone or knows someone who's struggling with this i'd like to write a, a face on this i'd like to put a personal story there and this woman named jennifer jones she's actually my husband's facebook friend she goes to hear his band so he's played music at her parties and she's seen him out you know and I've had a beer with her maybe once where you know we were listening to the same band concert but I didn't know her at all and um Dan had shared my post on his page so she sent me a Facebook message and said oh my god I just lost my brother um this is really splitting up my family you know my other brother and sister don't want to talk about it but I really feel compelled to make something good come out of this awful 
death and this thing that's really tearing me apart. And so I, I would be willing to share his story, but my brother and sister don't want to use his name. Um, and her basic, I think her inspiration for it was, well, maybe she, she can't bring her brother back, but maybe she could get other families talking about this. Maybe she could get somebody else who was struggling to open up or reach out for help to somebody. So she had a very um, altruistic motivation in terms of like trying to bring some good out of bad. The brother and sister didn't, there was just a privacy issue for them. They just didn't want to have their brother's story kind of out there for people. Yeah, their take on it, and they wouldn't talk to me for the story, unfortunately. Their, their take on it was that this, the brother was like a really private person. Like he, he didn't let many people know much about him. And they didn't want, if you Googled his name, to be the first thing that came up, death by suicide you know, um, and so we went round and back again about, can we put a picture of him when he was a little kid in? No, they don't want a picture. Can we use his middle name? They don't want to use his middle name. And I mean, for you guys out there, yes, I had to go to Maria. Maria probably had to like run it up the pole too, because we don't usually run unnamed stories or, or sources. Um, so I don't know, we spent probably a week or 10 days going back and forth with her and her family about whether we could name him. Um, but that was the biggest hurdle, I think. You know, I think we ended up feeling um, like the story was, in many ways, much more about her than him, although he was, of course, living what a lot of people were going through, but but she was sort of our, um, she was the one that was helping us to draw attention to the problem and sort of becoming a person that people could relate to, and so having access to her and having access to her pain and what she wanted to share I mean, that, that that helped. I mean, a perfect world, it would have been much better to have his name and to uh, add that connection too. But but then it becomes also like, how, how much time and effort do you spend trying to go track down somebody that fits into the, into the you know, situation that you're, you're trying to write about? Right, right. And then also, I mean, you helped me figure that out and, and you were really good at this about figuring out who the story is really about you know that the old lady trying to get in to see her husband at the nursing home was not about the husband in the nursing home the little boy dying in his crib was not about the little boy it was about his mother trying to keep him alive and i think having you to bounce that stuff off on sometimes really really helps and then so then you can land on you know we're going to call it jen's little brother and that becomes his name right yeah. that, that gives yeah. him his identity there through her I will say, just backing up real quick to the whole idea of Facebook, because we do use that a lot. I don't know how often people are using social media now as a tool, but, you know, when you, especially in a situation like this, where we know we're trying to find real people to to put into stories that are trend stories or issue stories, um, we've had a lot of luck with, um, you know, hey, here's Lane DeGregory, the reporter for the Tampa Bay Times, and she's interested in doing a story about X, Y, or Z. Do you know anybody who'd be willing? Um, it's uh, it's been a it's been a very helpful way to kind of draw people out. So, so it helps a lot when people repost you too. I, I mean, it, most of them aren't coming off my journalism friends; they're coming off of friends of friends of friends, you know, from other walks of life and stuff. And yeah. So, despite you know settling on, so we now have a character in Jen who's you know whose little brother um, went through all of this. Uh, you were also, though, trying to even struggling to get a little out of her and make sure that we could confirm details and, and make sure that it wasn't just like, okay, top of mind for her and things that may not be uh, nailed down. So I want to talk a little bit about going after the autopsy and the police report and that, that kind of thing. Yeah, I, I really don't let myself, and I know you wouldn't let me either, do a one-source story, you know? And I, 
I couldn't triangulate her, um, what she told me, her facts and, and narration, because I couldn't talk to her brother and sister. They wouldn't talk to me to confirm any of that. So I knew or that it- Roommates, we didn't have roommates. We didn't yeah. have roommates, didn't have his employer, you know. Um, I didn't even know his name until the end of the reporting to go back and look, and he didn't have a Facebook, so there was no way to like poke around on that. Um, but I did know, you know, a guy dies in his apartment, there's going to be a police report and there's going to be an autopsy. So I asked Jen if she'd gotten the police report and the autopsy, and she said that she had. And I said, well, can I see them? And she said, oh, well, let me ask my brother and my sister. And then she got back to me and said, they don't want to share. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. that with you, and I'm like, well... Okay, it's a public document, you know, and I didn't say that like to threaten her, but just to say like, I, I need that information to corroborate your story, you know. Um, so I sent a freedom of information request to the coroner's office and the sheriff's department and was able to get the, narr the narrative from both of them um, about, you know, the, the very medical autopsy about what and how he died um, and what state his body was in and all that, but then also the police report about finding him and, and quoting the roommate about what had, what had happened. Um, so that gave me other stuff for my story too, right? Then I could use that stuff to help fill in the narrative because Jen wasn't there when the roommate called the police. You know, Jen wasn't there when the cops walked in and had to break his door down. Um, so having those documents helped my narrative as well as showing up her story, you know. So another challenge of the story was trying to figure out how to, how to marry Jen's story with all this context that you got about the situation. And you over-reported the snot out of that, right? You were getting statistics from there. Lane had so many statistics in this first version of the story. It was like, I was drowning in numbers. I was like, what? What? You mean numbers. I'm not good at them. So I, like, I threw the book at her. <laughs> it was good to over-report because then you could pick and choose the ones that are most like, you know, okay, which numbers are really the most telling, but but anyway, so we have that challenge of like, okay, we, we have this narration of, you know, her brother under stress and ultimately what happened to him um, and where she is now dealing with the, the pain. And then we had this context, which was also sort of a narrative of sorts in that it was kind of taking you from the spring into summer and fall. And um, so we tried to braid them, right? And um, and originally, I think we were gonna we were we were gonna end up with somebody. It was not gonna end up. It was gonna start with Jen, but it was gonna end up with some of these voices talking about all that's happening. And it just felt much better to end again on Jen and sort of weave it back and forth. But um, but we did a little fiddling with that. It was a little bit of trial and error. You know that was good surgery on your part because like we I had had it. I mean, I wanted the question that was gonna propel the narrative to be what happens to the brother, right? I didn't want to tell you right away that he, he kills himself. I wanted that to be the thing that draw the readers through and say, so you're following Jen, you know, through her own anxiety. So I knew I wanted to start with that and end with, oh my God, he's out of the hospital. He's back home and now that's not a good idea. What's going to happen, you know? 
Um, but other, I mean, the, the traditional structure of like action, background, action, background kind of sufficed here really well. And for some reason, I felt like I needed to end on like looking forward and having these mental health counselors being like, hey, warning, warning, you know, danger, danger, it's going to get worse. And, and I remember, I, I think I called you or I messaged you or something and I said, it's so bleak, like to end on this, like, like dire, like the world is ending. I mean, it's, it's legit, but I don't think that's the note that I want to end on, you know, and you completely flip flop those sections. So it wasn't even a lot of rewriting. It was just like, let's let end on Jen's note where she basically is positive and trying to reach out and encourage people to like reach out to people who might be hurting, tell people you love, you love them. And it was such a more positive and like gratifying ending, you know. I've, I've drunk the uh, Lander Gregory Kool-Aid. There has to be hope. <laughs> <laughs> That's it, but you put the hope in that one. <laughs> so, um, so talk a little bit about, because I know people struggle with this, the challenges of writing about suicide. You talked to, as we said, you, you got a lot of context about the situation, but you also talked to those folks about what we should say and what we shouldn't say as we write about it, right? And I think as an industry, we've all gotten much more sensitive to this in recent years. And we're trying to, you know, you don't want to ignore it because it's a societal issue, but you also don't want to do anything that's going to exacerbate the problem. So can to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that was actually a really big concern of mine because I've always heard like you don't want to write about suicide because you don't want to encourage people or have copycats or people who were thinking, well, I might want to do this. Well, that guy did it, you know, and, and make it worse. Like that was the last thing in the world I wanted to do was make it any worse. So I, I got on the National Suicide Prevention Hotline and there's a media place you can click on and it basically gives you like guidelines of what you should and shouldn't do as media. Um, and then I took it one step further and I called them and I interviewed this lady and I said, what should I be aware of? What should I not do? You know, <clears throat> and there's, there's certain language, like they don't want to say committed suicide. They want to say died by suicide. Uh, it's like interesting rhetorical language. But then I think the biggest takeaway for me as a reporter, because I, I want to know the details, like how did he die? What happened? And they were like, don't report that. You know, don't, don't tell how people took their own lives because it might give somebody else an idea. Um, so I struggled a lot with that because I had really good details and it was, of course was very uh, sad and smart and desperate and hopeless all at the same time. But I think after speaking with you too, we just decided to leave that all on the floor and have him open the door and, and you just see that he's lying on his back on his bed, but you don't really know what happened to him. I mean, the readers don't, we do, but. Yeah. I, and you know, sometimes to me, I, I, I mean, I, there's that part of us as journalists that, you know, you want to answer questions that people might have, but in a way it really doesn't matter. That doesn't really matter. What matters is that he struggled and he didn't find a way to get help. And, you know, now his family is agonizing over this choice he made. Um, so. And the um, pandemic propelled it. I mean, I think that was the main point I wanted to say in the story is like, People are always struggling with mental health issues, but this has really forced a lot of people who didn't struggle before to struggle now and the people who already were struggling so much worse, you know, and just to kind of get that idea of isolation and uncertainty playing into all of that. Um, one of the other things you had to deal with here, of course, in a lot of stories, you, you, you're trying to um, interview experts about the subject and um, not just to get guidance on how to report on suicide, but um, Talk a little bit about how you how you try to translate what they say, like how to make it, it turn it into English and not like, you know, I mean, you, 
I think you have a really good way with people where you try to be just like, I don't know a whole lot about this talk. Tell me, tell me, you know, like invite them to sort of give you a lesson. But so often, and mental health experts fall into this category, they'll talk to you like, you know, they're writing a textbook. So, you know, how, how do you pull the right things out of them? Yeah, I try to do for this one what I do for a lot of them when it feels like the story is a lot about an issue or an idea, not necessarily an individual. And so I start kind of big and I was looking at national reports like from the CDC and the like Center for Psychological, the American Psychological Association and the National Suicide Prevention Line. I, started, I spent probably two or three hours reading other people's reports and getting Gallup polls and what does this study over here from the University of Washington say? And sort of arming myself with like what's out there nationally and then try to zoom in tightly to find a Tampa Bay expert, you know? So get get the national numbers and statistics and what is going on, but then find someone locally who can go, here's how it translates in, and of course we've got five different counties and six different cities and all these different agencies. So I think I totally overreported because I didn't want to not know what was happening in Hillsborough County if something was happening in Pinellas County. But there's no like overall agency, you know, that, that keeps those numbers or, or has the same budget or anything. And so I, I had to go, you know, national to local and spread out until I found out like what really is a trend versus you know, specifics of this one call center or whatever like that. Um, and I do, I say that, like you, you said, I'd be like, I don't know very much about this at all. I can, can you help me help my readers understand, you know, what this is like for people? And I thought it was interesting that the number of calls to the suicide hotline prevention were out the roof, but the actual number of suicides, I wanted to report that out too. That hadn't really changed yet. Um, so I, I thought that was important to include that statistic as well. Heard you do this too, where you'll you'll uh, somebody will say something to you and you'll you'll parrot it back, but in regular English, and you'll just just confirm that what they're telling you is yeah, it's this, right? This is what you mean by that. It's like that therapist thing. Here's what I think I hear you saying. There <laughs> <laughs> you go. What was the reaction on the story? Um, actually, you know, sometimes when you write a story to try to make things better or help other people a bunch of sadness gets thrown back at you and so I, I don't know if it helped other people I hope it did but um, I got a lot of emails from people who'd lost family members um, not just during COVID but in past to suicide and wanted to tell me their story and wanted to tell me how empty they still were and wanted to tell me to like give Jen a hug you know as if I could hug but <laughs> they wanted to reach out to Jen I mean I think I had probably a half a dozen women who said, please, can I connect with Jen? I'd like to tell her it's not her fault, you know, and, and there was nothing she could have done. And one person who was really distressed herself and said she'd been having these suicidal thoughts wanted to talk to Jen because she thought maybe Jen would be a light for her. So, I, I mean, I sent all these people to Jen and she said that would made it all worthwhile because her brother and sister were really mad after the story came out that they thought it gave away too much and it was too personal and why did she put herself out there and she's like so the company of strangers is like making up for this pain of my siblings you know and wow. yeah I felt really bad about that but I think she's getting some solace in that community you know um so as I said we'll put a link to the to the story so you can read the rest of it and um uh, if you have a question for Lane about this or want to suggest a podcast topic find us on our Facebook group or email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast.
This podcast was produced by Anna Ishmael. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.